Well, this morning, this is the Thanksgiving season, and we do have much to be thankful for. And we've taken a time in our service this morning, and quite a bit of time, actually, to do that. And that is so important that we do that, that we don't hurry by the opportunity to thank the Lord, because He really is that good. Amen? He really is that good. I want to continue speaking this morning on hunger. Are you hungry this morning? Now, I know that's after Thanksgiving. The answer is no, I'm stuffed. <laughs> I've had enough turkey, thank you. But I'm not talking about turkey this morning. I'm talking about spiritual hunger. Are you hungry this morning? Last week, we spoke about a hungry person as being a person that is easily satisfied, meaning that they're not simple, <laughs> not in any way. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that they don't require a big, huge meal to be satisfied. If you're hungry, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is really, really good. You don't require a lot of fancy things when you're truly hungry. You just need to fill up your stomach. You just need to get something in you to give you that, to balance the sugar levels and some things in your life. And spiritually, sometimes, that's the same way. A, a spiritually hungry person can come into almost any setting and get spiritually fed. Where a spiritually full person or a person so full of the world, they can come into a great worship setting and get nothing out of it because their spirit can't absorb anything else because they're so full of something else. And we talked about a spiritually full person or a person that is not spiritually hungry. Let me place it that way. A person not spiritually hunger, hungry uh, can very easily become critical and become uh, very hard to reach because they don't see themselves as anything but full. The problem is they don't know what they're full of. I'm, you can fill in the blank on that one. So today I want to talk about another aspect of being spiritually hungry. A, a spiritually hungry person is a seeking person, is a seeker. And I, and I know we think of seeking sometimes as seeker sensitive and, and not a real good terminology, but really a seeker is a very important thing to be. Because if I'm seeking something, that means I'm going after something. That means I have a passion for something that I don't have right now. If I'm spiritually hungry, I am going to be passionately pursuing spiritual things. A hungry person physically is a, is a person that will do whatever he has to do to survive. He will eat all kinds of things that would seem uneatable to a person that is starving. A person that is spiritually hungry should be the same type of a mentality of a person craving anything that can fill him with a spiritual sense of godliness about him. They should have such a craving that he would take an aggressive posture towards it. And this person isn't willing to wait Sunday to Sunday to get it. This is the type of person that is digging, in, digging into God's Word on his own. His own personal Bible studies, his own personal devotion, his own personal prayer life, that he, he isn't, he's just not comfortable waiting for Sunday to be spoon-fed by a great worship team that we have or by the Word of God or by a Sunday school teacher. This person, they, they know how to take responsibility on their own for their own daily intake of spiritual food. That's the kind of person I'm talking about this morning. Jesus talks about this kind of a person in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, in the Beatitudes. We started to talk about that last week, or we ended with that, actually. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. 
You can turn to your Bible. In fact, you know, many times we have it up on the screen, and sometimes we're not going to have it up on the screen, and hopefully that will encourage everyone to bring their Bible. And, and, yeah, and sometimes it's my problem. Sometimes it's my fault because sometimes I skip by the passages too quickly. So I will take responsibility for that. But today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and the message or the scriptures, some of them are on the notes you've been handed out, and the passages are all there as well. So uh, I will try not to rapidly fire through, so quickly through the verses as well. But Jesus talks about the person in the Beatitudes, and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they might be filled. See, it's a good thing you're reading your Bible, isn't it? What did I say? What was wrong? They will be filled. Blessed is the man who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for he will be filled. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus said. It's not a man. It is the Son of God that said this. This single verse may be one of the most important verses in all of the Beatitudes. Remember we talked about last week about the word Beatitude? It's a command. Beatitude. Beatitude, a godly attitude. So it is a command for us. And so this person that Jesus is blessing here, who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that person has the attitude of hunger for God. He is commanding his attitude to be hungry for God. That person will be filled with everything that God has. That's what Jesus said. If you're hungry for righteousness, I will fill you. That's what Jesus says. I'm, be, I'm paraphrasing it a bit there, but that's exactly what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God will fill a hungry person. If you're hungry and thirsty, God will fill you. On the other hand, God will not or cannot fill a person that isn't hungry. He cannot and he will not supersede his rights or your rights to your free choice. When a person hungers for God, he is willing to let God into every area of his life. And God is faithful to fill that person up in that area, in every area. So the question for us today is, am I hungry? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry? Now the reality is we're all hungry for something bigger than ourselves. We all need to know that there is something bigger out there in this universe than little old me or little old you. We, we, there, is a, there is an innate hunger for something in us that we don't understand. And I think it's an obvious statement here that if we just leave it at that, we will understand and we'll realize that it's not the normal thing for the person to normally have a spiritual appetite for God. It just doesn't fit us. Our human fallen nature is broken. There was a brokenness that happened that, that stopped or that prevented Adam and Eve when they were kicked, when they were removed from the garden that fateful day. Something died in them. They spiritually died that day, and there was a chasm, a chasm. There was a great separation, a great void that happened between them and God because they no longer had relationship with the Lord because they chose to disobey. And that condition 
we've inherited. So naturally, in my fallen nature, that hunger that I have for something spiritual is not naturally bent, bending towards God. It's bending towards something else. With that spiritual component in every person that, that has to be filled, there is a very, there is a very um, big opportunity for things that are not of God to fill it. When, if we, when we fill that very special place in our lives with God, man, we are satisfied. There's no greater satisfaction for a man that fills that space with God. And when we don't fill it with God, there is no greater dissatisfaction. This empty feeling that many people don't realize what it is, they will attempt to fill it up with anything else but God in the world. And then they will invite many problems into their life and wonder why. Hunger is something that we can't prevent spiritually or physically. We cannot prevent us getting hungry physically for sure. We hunger for something bigger. And it's no wonder that so many people, if they don't know that they are hungering for God, it's no wonder that so many people are filling themselves up with alcohol or drugs or pornography or sex or bad relationships with people, thinking that people are going to fill them up or uh, wild spending habits, thinking that money or the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of things will fill them up. And, and there's many other extremes in life that people will go after in their pursuit of filling up this emptiness in their life, which in all honesty cannot be filled with anything else but God to give, that gives satisfaction. So and we also understand that our enemy knows that we're hungry. The enemy also knows that there is a created place in every man that was broken, that he took great pride in breaking that day. He took great joy in breaking that with Eve that day. And he takes great joy continuing to break it in you and I today. He's thrilled when the fact is that we're longing for something and we don't know how to fill it with God. The devil loves that. He, he cherishes that. He, he gets so pumped up over that, that, that he just loves to bring all kinds of calamity in your life and all kinds of other good, maybe even good things in your life that would fill it up with worldly things. He loves that. But I can tell you this morning confidently that the answer to that feeling, that answer to that emptiness in your heart is only filled through Scripture. It's only filled through relationship with Jesus Christ. Going back to our text Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's look at that verse a minute. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, if there's a blessing for those that are hungry, I think there must be a curse for those that aren't hungry. If he's blessing those that are, are hungry, he must be cursing those that are not hungry or not blessing them. The term blessed here refers to this. It refers to the well-being and joy of those who, because of their relationship to Christ and his word, find themselves within his kingdom and enjoying it. See, blessed is more than just having money. Blessed is more than just having a nice house. Being blessed is being in the right relationship with God, being placed in his kingdom, and enjoying it. What better place to be than in the, when you know that you're in the will of God and you can enjoy it 
That's blessing. That's a blessed man or a blessed woman. These are people who know who they are in Christ and they can find their peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction knowing that the place they're occupying is God-given for them. They are occupying their place in God's kingdom. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, what he's saying is peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction to those that hunger and seek after the things that bring pleasure to me and my Father. And I will bless you. And I will give you peace. And I will fill you up. According to a Bible commentary, it says that without this intense desire for righteousness, a person will not pursue a deeper relationship with God or try to develop the rest of the character traits Jesus describes. That there has to be this intense desire for righteousness. So for the rest of the time this morning, I want to take the time digging in, into God's word here so that we can help us understand what it means to seek and to be hungry and to thirst for the righteousness of God. What does it truly mean? What does it look like? Once again, because it's not the natural characteristic of a man or a person, we must learn how to develop it. We must learn about it. We must learn how to, how to nurture it and, and, and learn how to create hunger in a soul or in a spirit that isn't naturally hungering for God, we must take responsibility and ownership of this and we may say, God, I need your hunger. I want to be hungry. So be attitude, be hungry for the Lord. I must, have, I must know how to do this. We need to establish and build some foundational teachings found in God's word that helps us know how to get hungry and how to stay hungry for God. Well, the first thing that I can think of and how to do that is how do we love God? Turn in your Bible to, Mac, to chapter, or Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus was asked in this passage, he says, uh, Jesus, teacher, what is the most important commandment? And this is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then secondly, love others as you love yourself. But the most important one is that we learn to love the Lord your God. See, he, it's a commandment. It's not a natural inclination. The most important commandment, Jesus says, with a stress on the word commandment, what does a commandment mean to you? What does a command mean to you? Is it an optional thing? Is a commandment a good suggestion? No, a commandment is a command. <laughs> and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's pretty much everything. You know, I've looked at this verse over the years, and I've read it numerous times, and it's always been a very interesting and a very challenging verse to me because I've often thought about, how do I do that? How do I love the Lord that way? How do I love him that intently with that with all-encompassing nature in my humanity? Because I make lots of mistakes. Probably as many, probably more than you probably think I do. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes in life because I just do stupid things. 
But in my stupidity and in those mistakes, I still need to know how to love the Lord. I still need to know how to get through those mistakes. And it can't be based upon my feelings of unworthiness because if I let my feelings of unworthiness come in, then I can't properly love the Lord because when I don't have that relationship, then something's broken and I'm stressful and I can't find that place because it's not in my feelings anymore. So I have to go back to the B attitude. B attitude of love. It's not about you, Mike. Don't you understand that? It's about who God is and how much he deserves for me to love him. So I need, to, I need to command myself. So what does it mean? To love God with all of our heart very simply means everything we feel and long for. Remember, the heart is the place of our feelings. The heart is the place where we have that desire within us. So when, I, when it says love the Lord with all your heart, it means with everything that you feel. Even if you don't feel like it, feel like it. <laughs> Even when you don't have that desire, have that desire. Come on, heart. Get, get in line here, heart. Come on, you got to start feeling it, heart. It's my heart. I got to take control of it. To love the God with, with all of my soul, it means putting my eternal desires before my temporary ones because the soul lives forever and it outlasts anything in this world that's temporary. So come on, soul. Let's go. Forget about the things that are giving you the problems today. Forget about maybe the bills you're struggling with. Forget about the pain that you're having. Forget about the stuff that's going on in your life because it's time to start thinking about the eternal. It's time to start thinking about the things that are out there further, the things that are truly going to last. So come on, soul, get on board. Love the Lord with everything that lasts forever and ever and ever and let the temporary things go by. Don't get so wrapped up in those. Learn to hold on to those things with lighter grips. Let the things that don't last run through, the, run through your fingers like water. As you pick up a, 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 try to hold water in your hand, it will run through your fingers. Well, that's the things we're supposed to, that's how we're supposed to hold on to the temporary things of life. But then grab hard and, and earnestly onto the things that are eternal. So come on, soul. Mind, what does it mean to love the God with all of our mind? It means taking control of what we think about and what we allow into our mind that would bring us temptation. I have control of this. I don't always look like it, but I have control of it, right? You know, I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. I think things I shouldn't think. So come on, mind. Be attitude. Come on, have a godly attitude, mind. Don't allow yourselves to consider and think about the things that fly over your mind. Yes, birds fly over my head all the time, but that the old Chinese proverb, but you don't, let, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. You can't stop them from flying over your head. You can't stop the temptations from flying into your mind. They come through whether you like it or not. You can't stop that. But what I do stop and what I do uh, protect myself is what do I allow to stop or what do I make sure that keeps on passing. I don't have to think about every thought. I can dismiss it. Strength, what does it mean to love the Lord with all of our strength? Well, that means I put action into the, and, and, and I put effort into the things that, uh, are required godly pursuit. It means I take action with my life. My strength means I, I work hard. Physically and spiritually, I work hard. I put effort into it because it's worth it. You got to remember, Jesus put a lot of effort in his life. It was not easy for him to live the life he lived. He put a lot of strength and effort into his life. Well, I need to put a lot of strength and effort into my life to be like Christ. 
I can't expect my life to go easily when he struggled and he worked hard for his life. And if I'm going to be Christ-like, then my, my Christ-like life has to characterize his, meaning I have to put effort and work into it. So if there are things that I truly have to do to love Jesus, then I have to take the time and energy and the capacity to do those things. And I have to make sure that I, I pursue those things. Now, we do have things in life that come our way. I understand that. And so does Jesus, and so do the writers of the gospel. Matthew chapter 6 talks to us about how do we handle our daily lives in the midst of all the other stuff going on. Matthew chapter 6, read this with me. If you'd open your Bible, Matthew, we're going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 6, verse, beginning at verse 25. 25 through 33. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow sown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The key word comes down to verse 33. But seek Seek. Come on, hungry person. Seek first the things of God and his righteousness. And then all the cares of life will be given to you as you need them. Maybe not as you want them, but as you need them, they will be given to you. If you seek first me and my righteousness. Come on, beatitude. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get a hold of ourselves here. And this passage is not by any way promoting welfare systems, just so you know that. It's not saying anybody be lazy. It doesn't say just go on welfare and I'm going to feed you. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Because the flowers that were planted still had the responsibility to grow. They had their responsibility to do what they were called to do. And those flowers that were planted that, that, that were dressed better than Solomon, they still had the responsibility to grow where they were planted. They still had work to do where they were at. So we still have work to do in our life. We just don't worry about it. We just don't let that stress us out. And when I can see life the way God sees life, and, and when I can seek him this way over our ways, then I can start to place his will over my will and be comfortable with it. I don't have to stress out over it. I don't have to say, God, that's not the way I would do it. Well, so what? if that's the way you would do it or not. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about knowing who God is and trusting and believing in what he says. So as we truly trust God and, and, and his provision for my life, then he'll provide the job for you. He'll provide the income for you. He'll provide it as you're trusting God for that, as you're truly seeking him. We just have to make sure that we promote that God-first attitude, no matter where we're at. If you're on the job, you know what you do? You you. You promote God first. You be a testimony. You be a witness on the job. You know, that's how you seek God first on your job is by being a good testimony of who God is. If you want God's blessing in your job, then 
Seek him first in your job. And let everybody know it, that you're doing it. Don't hide the light under the bushel. Don't be ashamed of God on the job, but then expect God to bless you in the job. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll provide you the job as long as you continue to show up and bless him first. You know, Greg, your testimony is so good because your testimony is based on conditions. God said, I'm going to heal you, but that's your last drink. Right? The blessings of God are conditional, folks. You need to know that. His love is unconditional, but his blessings are conditional. You want to be blessed by God, then you live according to God's standards. Simple. Let's not make it any more complicated than what it is. But don't think you're going to live your way and expect God's blessings. If they don't line up with God's word, then don't fool yourself that way because you're only going to be spinning yourself in circles and you're going to get discouraged and frustrated and you're going to quit on God because you're thinking God didn't come through and God's saying, guys, I'm coming through if you would just do what you're supposed to do. Psalm chapter 42. As the deer pants, we, we read this already, Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Man, that is, I, I don't think I've read it that way before until this week, but when I, could, when I saw the psalmist say, when can I go, that to me just exudes thirst and hunger. He's not saying, do I have to go? Come on, do I have to go to church today? Do I have to do that? Do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? Do I have to go to Wednesday night Bible study? No. When can I go? When? I can't wait. I can't wait to wake up in the morning and get in my Bible study. I can't wait to pray with the Lord, for the, with the Lord and have a relationship with Him today. I can't wait to come to church to get around other brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait. That's the attitude of a thirsty person. Does your soul cry out like that? Can you relate to this? Are we so hungry and thirsty for God that we can't wait to get into his presence? Or are we trying to seek God on our own terms and on our own conditions? Man, I'll tell you, this hit me hard here as well because, you know, sometimes I get so used to church, I got so used to living a Christian life that I've developed my own conditions my own terms. And I'm going to say, God, I'm expecting you to be good with it. Shame on me. If I think that, if you think that, who do we think we are that we can say, God, you're going to come to me in my terms? No, we come to God on his terms. We come to him on his terms. And when we come in his terms, you know what he'll do? He'll fill you. He'll bless you. He'll make your life better than what you could ever imagine it to be when I come to him on his terms, not on my terms. Am I truly hungry and thirsty for the Lord's presence? Am I truly hungry that I can just come to God on his terms and throw my terms away and, and, and not have to worry about me, not to worry about what I look like, but I, I'm just anticipating to meet with God. And man, when I can get that way, good things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. To stop thirsting for God is to die spiritually. When Eve took that bite of that apple, 
she stopped thirsting for God. Think about that. One bite of that apple made her hide. One bite of that apple took away all of her thirst for godliness and made her hide herself because she knew she was naked. She knew she was bare again, and she had no thirst for God with one bite. So to die or to stop thirsting for God is to die spiritually. Therefore, we must not allow anything to take away our deep desire to know God and his purposes in our life. We must avoid becoming distracted by the circumstances of life, including the worries, including the needs, the successes and attractions and the pleasures. Mark chapter nine, uh, 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 19. Mark chapter 4, verse 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The fruit of a man's life is determined, good or bad, by what that man is willing to put into it. In other words, what you put in, what you invest, is relative to what you're going to get out. Invest little, get out little. You invest a lot, your rewards are going to be more when it comes to bear. But you're going to invest a lot. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of risk, maybe. The more you invest, but the more opportunity you have to get out great things. A person can be so preoccupied with the things of this life that he has no time for God. Amen? Anybody fell anybody and prayed to that besides myself? that we can be so occupied, even with the good things in life, that I, I've shut God out of my life. Come on, how can I do that? Yeah, I do it. You know, pastors, you know what burnout is? Burnout is doing things for God without putting God in your life. People can burn out all the time. Good people, pastors, teachers, uh, college presidents of of, of, of Christian universities, you, you name it. It doesn't make difference what, what walk of life you're in. If you're not keeping your devotional life intact, if you're not keeping your spiritual hunger intact, you're ultimately going to burn out because you don't have any source of strength to come in and fill up the void anymore that you've, that you've used. Last week we talked about how we are to throw off all the things that hinder and the sin that easily entangles. Remember at Hebrews chapter 12? Throw off all the things that hinders and the sin. So clearly there are good things in life that can distract us to the point that it chokes out our love and our passion and our hunger for the Lord. And these things, good or bad, can rob us and choke out our desire for God and, and they can diminish the discipline, the discipline needed for me to have a deeper relationship with God through the prayer. It takes discipline and good things can choke out the discipline because I can be so busy with the good things that I've lost my discipline to stay in God's word. I've lost my discipline to pray like I should. I can't remember who it was. It was one of the Wig Smith Wigglesworth or one of these guys with funny name, but he would say, he said, I, I, I will paraphrase it and I'm probably going to mess it up. But he would say something like this, I don't have time if I don't spend three hours in prayer in the morning, I don't have time to get everything else done for the Lord. If I don't spend three hours in prayer first, then my day's shot. When was the last time, when was the, has anybody spent three hours in prayer? My hand's not up either. Okay? That's a long time, folks. But could you imagine spending three hours in prayer every day, get up at four in the morning, pray till seven, and then have breakfast? Wow, I, I could only imagine the power in that man's life. 
The spiritual condition of a man's life will depend on their hunger and thirst for three things. <laughs> three things. <laughs> That's where the mind doesn't work sometimes. Three things. Number one, the presence of God. We're created to be in the presence of God whether we appreciate it or not. Understand that. God created you in his own image. Why? So that you could be in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He wants relationship with you. He really does. He loves you so much that he wants to be your friend. But the only way he can become your friend is if I choose to let him be my friend. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There is a time of seeking. There is a time when God says, I'm near, come seek me. That there must be, that means that there must be a time when he's not near. So I would recommend and, and, and urge all of us to seek the Lord while he is near. Number two, number two, the second thing, the second spiritual condition of a man's life for hunger and thirst is, are you hungry and thirsty for the word of God? The word of God. God's word is life and breath to the seeker. God's word is life and breath. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. It's not a burden for this psalmist to be in God's word. It's his delight. He loves it. It's his strength. It's his life. Psalm 119, 1 and 2. Blessed are those, I'm going fast here, I'm sorry. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all his heart. Amen. Blessed are those. Psalm 119, flip way back down to verses 145 to 148. I will call with my heart, answer me, Lord, and I will obey with your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep you from your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open to the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. God's word is life and breath to the seeker. You stay hungry by staying in God's word. The third thing is having an interactive relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Man, woman, have an interactive, not just a one-way street relationship, an interactive relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. You can, as, as you read this, try to, try to imagine and see the urgency in Paul's heart here, his hunger. But whatever were gains to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is faith through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Can you just hear Paul saying this? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I can just hear Paul's heart just crying out, the passion in his heart saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I'm willing to give up everything. I'm willing to give up everything because it's all garbage. 
so that I get to know Christ more. That's hunger. That's the passion that Paul talks about here. Righteousness of God is simply this. It's a man who's seeking the right relationship with God and the power of his spirit to live right by his standards as defined by his word. The righteous man is not a perfect man. I'm not talking perfection here. There's only one of those, and that was Jesus. A, perf- a righteous man seeks the, a right relationship. And how do you have a right relationship with God? It's one on a constant repenting forgiveness, repenting forgiveness, repenting forgiveness. Lord, I make a mistake. I'm sorry. I'm, I repent. You know what? I'm right relationship again. All right? And I go down a little bit longer. I make another mistake. Go, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I come back in relationship again. I have that constant heart of repentance. It's a heart of hum- humility, not a heart of pride. And when I keep that relationship right with God, now I can be a righteous man with God. And that's the way we have our prayer life can be strongest. Think about this for a minute. If you're in a right relationship with someone, you have no problem being in their presence. If you're in a right relationship with someone, you have no problem looking the man or the woman in the eye because there's right, because the relationship is good. But if there's a problem there somehow, if you've lied to them or you've cheated them or you've hurt them or you've somehow betrayed them, is it easy to look that person in the eye? No. You sh- your eyes are shifty. You're a little nervous. You don't like to be in the presence of that person, especially one-on-one, because the relationship isn't right. So if you want to get in with God, get your relationship right. You know how you do that? It's real simple. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What can I do to go backwards? How can I repent? How can I go back to, 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 to try to fix the mess and, and do what you can, and when you can't do anymore, you just fall on your face before God and say, just forgive me. And you know what he'll do? He will. When you've tried everything else to write to relate, because there is some work to repentance, by the way. Repentance is hard work. It's not just a, a quick prayer to say, forgive me, then just keep, continue on life doing, especially what you were doing. No, it's going, it's going backwards. It's, it's, it's breaking the walls behind you that you built up behind you, breaking them down to get to that small gate again. That's repentance. And now when I have that, now I'm like Paul. I'm willing to give up everything to find that right place of relationship with Christ. Jackie, would you come, please? And, and, and if I can find that, if I can find that right place of relationship with Christ, nothing else matters. Time doesn't even matter. I mean, I can be, when, when I find myself truly in right relationship with the Lord, when I'm truly in a seeking attitude with God, time doesn't matter. I can be 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, and it flies by. It doesn't make any difference. When I, here is something, and I, and I know time's important, and I know we need to be sensitive to time, and I know it's 5 after 12, and I know I'm supposed to be done at 12 o'clock, but you know what, guys? When I'm in the presence of God, sometimes time has to take a back seat. And I don't mean that just to ramble on, but I mean there are times when you just have to be in the presence of God. And a seeking person doesn't have a problem with that. So as we conclude the message today, I would like all of us to take a spiritual measurement of our hunger and our thirsting condition. Am I really hungry for God? 
can I really read the psalmist and agree with him as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God. I mean, it craves God. When can I go and meet with God? When? When? Am I desperate this morning? Amen. I want to, we're going to sing the song in a minute, and, and I want to just give us an opportunity to repent, to get my beatitude right, to get that area of my life where I have been so busy, maybe not bad busy with bad things, but I've been so busy that I haven't allowed God to have his proper place in my life. You know, time is coming on. I'm getting one day older. We just had someone in the community that's 59 years old just died of a heart attack. I don't know when my day is, and I don't want to be guilty before the Lord of being too busy to be in his presence. I don't want to say, God, I don't have to want to, have to justify myself before God. So this morning, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are them are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Understand that you are the gatekeeper. You are your heart's gatekeeper. Nobody else is your heart. I am my gatekeeper. God will fill me as much as I will be filled. So as we sing the song this morning, I'm just going to open the altars for a bit. If you have to go, you're con you can consider yourself dismissed. But I'm just going to open the altars this morning for those that want to just come and seek the presence of the Lord for a little bit and, and be a seeker of the Lord. And I welcome you to come. Jackie, would you lead us in this song? Amen.
Yes, I am.